Thank you very much, Richard. Appreciate that. Um, God's Word is, uh, it is alive. It's active. Um, You'll hear me say often that uh, right here what we hold is important. It's important to our faith. It's important to uh, our, our moving forward. As the Holy Spirit is in us, the Holy Spirit enlightens us to the truth that is here. Many people read the Bible, and it's nothing more than maybe a history book. But when we read the Bible with, a, with the power of the Holy Spirit in us, it becomes alive, it transforms, it changes. And so is the work of the Holy Spirit as we have this. So I want to encourage you to bring your Bibles. Um, whether you look electronically or whether you have the physical Bible, I would encourage you because uh, it brings to us life. And I also will say to people that maybe as I am preaching, you get caught up in reading and you no longer are listening to me, but you're reading the scriptures and God is speaking to you. That's fantastic. It's okay. Um, That's much better, perhaps, even. So I encourage you to bring your your Bibles uh, and keep them open as we go through what we have today. So... Here we are. Uh, we're doing a three-part message on, uh, on the woman at the well. And we're looking at this section here where, where Jesus brings this revelation to her. So last week, we looked at and looked to recognize that, that there was a conversation that Jesus had with this woman. And, and what I wanted us to understand is that, is that God desires to have a conversation with you. Every day, he desires to have a conversation with you. But sometimes in our own lives, we go through situations, we have uh, circumstances in our lives where perhaps we have done something or something has been done to us and we feel shame and it keeps us from wanting to have a conversation with God. And what I want us to know is that that doesn't stop God, it only stops us. God isn't stopped by our shame, we're the only ones stopped by our shame. And shame should not be our author. God is the author of our life. It says in Hebrews that he is the author and perfecter of our faith. So let him be that. And then I also wanted us to be challenged by the fact of the way that Jesus looked at this woman at the well. And as we will look today, he knew who she was. He knew her lifestyle. He knew her background. And he looked at her as an image bearer of God. And he had a conversation with her. And I challenge us to look around at the people around us that we would look at as image bearers of God. Maybe it's that person that you're driving down the road and they cut you off. Maybe it is your neighbor. Maybe it is somebody that you work with. But, but that person that maybe you struggle with, that you would look at them and say, oh, but they're an image bearer of God. And just like God has, has created you and you're wonderfully and fearfully made, so is that person. Every single person on this earth has been created by God and they're fearfully and wonderfully made. And God has a plan for them, whether they're choosing to walk in that or not, but God has a plan for them just like he has a plan for you. I love the fact that God has a plan for me. That gives me hope. Gives me hope for tomorrow. Gives me hope that in my failure of yesterday, there is something that I can reach for today. And that is a good thing. So, this week I want to dive a little deeper. And I want us to go into... Uh, this and look at the revelation that Jesus has. So there's a revelation that he brings. He brings this revelation of who she is. She already knows this, but he is now revealing it. And what does that actually look like and how, what can we take from that? And then secondly, there's a, there's a revelation of what it means to worship him. 
that he brings. And that is interesting, and hopefully I can do justice to that. So let's look at this, because I have always found this story very fascinating. This woman comes to the well at noon, and we know she does so because of her lifestyle. She comes desperately wanting some water to carry out her day. But Jesus knows there is something more deeper that she needs. She needs healing. Jesus sees her needs. You know what? Jesus always sees our needs. You sitting here today, he sees your needs. You sitting here today, God wants to take you deeper than perhaps you even want to go. He always will. He'll always want to draw us deeper into him because that's who he is. Because he wants us to have this deep relationship with him. But many of us, and I will raise my hand, there are times that I want to stay on the surface. I don't want to go deeper. Because deeper means there's change. And, and quite frankly, there are things in my life at times that I have felt like, I kind of like where I'm at right now. I don't think I want to change. I don't think I want to give that up. Am I the only one? Okay, good. <laughs> Just checking. Just checking. I thought we were all pretty human. Yeah, but, but Jesus wants to take us deeper. So either the fact that we don't want to go deeper, I think sometimes because we're very comfortable with where we're at. But he is saying, let me take you deeper. And he will always take us deeper if we are drawn near to him. Sometimes, though, we struggle to go deeper as well because we never pause long enough to be in his presence. Let me just say that again. Sometimes we don't go deeper with God because we never pause long enough to be in his presence. I didn't understand that. As I've been in this pastorate gig for 30 plus years, um, busyness was kind of next to holiness, right? Yeah. You know, hey, Richard, are you busy? You know, how, oh, yeah, I've been a, it's been a busy week. <laughs> Richard will tell me, and I'm like, he's like, oh, okay, well, Richard, he's good, he's good. But do we really need busyness to define who we are? I don't think so. I think what we need is that we need to slow down. And when we slow down, we actually be in his presence, and he begins to speak to us. And that's where we begin to be transformed. Because his desire is, is that you would be like him. That you would be like him. That you would follow, that you would love like him. We're going to talk about love. That you would love like him. And that's a tall order. How do I do that? By being in his presence and allowing him to direct and guide me in my relationships with those people around me. So... Let's dive into a little bit of this. If you got your Bibles open, uh, Jesus says to her, go, go, uh, go call your husband and come here. So go back and get your husband and come here. And she replies, I don't have a husband. And Jesus says, you're right. You have been married five times before, and the man you're currently living with is not your husband. Bam. I mean, whoa. Whoa i got to stop there just for a moment, okay? Because if somebody walked up to me and said, hey, let me tell you your sins, (laughs) how would you respond? I think I would have picked up my water jugs and I would have said, see you later. 
<laughs> I mean, I'm not sticking around for this. I'm not sticking around for this. We, we miss something here. Just like if I was to put up a picture of, uh, of some traveling I have done, and, uh, and I put a picture up of an, of an outhouse in one of the countries that I've gone to, you may get a picture of that outhouse, but what you don't get is you don't get the smells and you don't get the sound that, that I experienced as I went to that outhouse. And as we read this, I don't think we, we get the inflection or the tone or the love in which Jesus says these words. I don't think he said, yeah, you know what, you're right. You've, had, you've been married five times, and the man that you are with, you're not even married to him. I don't think that's the way it was. It couldn't have been. Otherwise, she would have been like me, and she would have picked up her water jugs, and she would have been out of there. So the first thing I want us to notice is this, is that we don't know what the circumstances were around her five different marriages. In that culture, it was more that the, the men divorced the females, and the females could divorce the men. In that culture, if you burnt the toast, he could divorce you. We don't know if she lost her first, second, and third husband. I remember, I remember a guy that uh, got married for his fourth time, and his three previous wives died. I don't know if I want to get married to him. <laughs> but Ted Mutz was a wonderful man, but his wives died on him. We don't know the circumstances around the five different marriages that she's had. So let's not be too quick in judging her being married five times. Isn't that easy to do? When we hear somebody's story, it's so easy for us to jump to conclusions about why they're in their circumstances. But, there is a but, because she's not married now, and so perhaps these five different relationships did bring her to a place that she no longer trusted marriage. And she was living with a guy. That being said, in our culture today, which is a you do you, right? You've heard that? You do you. What does you do you culture mean? What, what is that? Really, what that is saying is, is it's saying that, is that uh, don't judge me. Okay? Do not judge me. You do you mean I get to do what I want to do. I get to decide how I want to live. So do not judge me. Hmm. And especially, especially if you're going to point out a sexual immoral lifestyle, then don't judge me. Who are you to judge me? But right here in this story, Jesus actually calls this woman out. I think he does. But remember from last week, why, why did he have a conversation with her? Because she needed something deeper than what she realized. And even pointing this out, he's still bringing her back to the point that she needs something deeper than herself, deeper than her relationships, than where she is today. So he's not pointing it out to judge her. He's pointing it out to bring her to himself. So this is my second week. <clears throat> I might as well get in trouble right now. 
All right? Are you ready for this? I'll sit down, because you all are. I am not certain, I'm not convinced, I'll say that, I'm not convinced that our job as Christians is to judge the world outside. Okay? Ooh, oh, I heard an amen, okay. At least one person is going to... Yeah, I don't think it's our job to judge the world outside. They don't have Jesus in them. They don't have Christ in them. Our job, our job is to bring Jesus to them. If we want our culture and our society to change, it's not by telling them that they're living in sin. It's by us living in the presence of Christ and bringing them the love of Jesus. You are the light of the world, he says. You are the light of the world. The church is the light of the world. You as an individual is the light of the world. Hopefully, when I get to the part, I gotta, I gotta keep moving. I am now freewheeling here. Hopefully, when I get to the part of, the, of us as, as, as temples, you are the light of the world. You've been called to be that. And you are to shine like a star in a crooked and depraved generation. That's our job, is to shine like a star in a crooked and depraved generation. How do I know right from wrong? If left to myself, I come up with all kinds of ways to determine what is right and wrong. Don't tell me you don't. You have justified sinning. All of us have justified sinning at some point in our life. Maybe not today, okay? I know you're going, man, Scott, you're judging me. No, I'm just speaking truth. How have you been convicted? Maybe you've had a brother or sister have come up to you and said, hey, put their arm around you. Listen, the lifestyle you're living, something's not right here. Jesus loves you. Maybe the Holy Spirit, you read scripture and bam, he's the one saying to you, yeah, well, you know what? The person you're living with, you're not even married to. The, the thing you just said was a lie. The way you justified that was not godly. You hear what I'm saying? How, and, and Paul says in, 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 um, in 1 Corinthians 5, if you want to write that down and look it up, 1 Corinthians 5, 16, 6 through 13, Paul talks about, about judging. And he talks about how can, you are not here to judge outside. God's going to take care of that. God is just. He will take care of those who do not seek him. Our job is to follow Christ and allow our lives to be a witness for him. It doesn't mean that I look at this world and I say, well, whatever's going to happen, happens. No. Hopefully, when I look at this world, it draws me to be on my knees and praying for our government. Does our government need prayer? Does our government need change? It does, and it's going to happen not because we put laws on the book for changes. It's going to happen because just like you, God has changed your heart. And we need to pray for our government to have a change of heart, to know Jesus. Okay, so if I'm in hot water with you, come and talk to me later because I'd love to go deeper with you. Here's God's culture. God's culture is not you do you. God's culture is you do him. That's his culture. You do him. 
So why is he pressing her? Why is he pressing her in sharing this? I believe his character can't help but go there with her. As I said before, when he pointed this out, I don't believe he pointed it out in condemnation. I believe he pointed it out in his character of love. Paul says, speak the truth in love. Speak the truth in love. And I believe that Jesus spoke the truth of where she was currently in her life, in her, moral life, in, in her, in her morality, with love, with great love. So the call is love. Love will never shy away from truth. It'll never shy away from truth. Jesus was asked, what are the two greatest commandments, or what is the greatest commandment? And what did he say? Somebody tell me what he said. Yeah. So he says, love, love God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength and all your soul, depending on which you're reading here. And, and we'll hopefully get into that some point in time because that was not something original with Jesus. That was the Shema. That was what the, the Jewish people repeated, the men repeated like three times a day, the Shema. This is what it means to love God. You love him with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength and with all your soul. And some point in time, we'll, we'll dissect that and look at that. And then he throws in a bonus one. And, and, there's another one, which is to love your neighbor as yourself. And again, it wasn't original. You could go to Leviticus chapter 19, and you could read right up into the end of that. And I think I might have put the wrong verse in there to end. Nope, 18. So in verse 18, it, uh, it says this. He says, you shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your people, your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. It was already here. It was already part of, if you looked at that and you looked at verses actually 9 through 19, you would see that this is part of what it means to love your neighbor. And loving your neighbor, as you look at that whole part in Leviticus, it was about how you and I would relate or, or uh, work amongst our neighbors. That you would help the vulnerable and those in need. That's what it looks like to love your neighbor. That you would actually love an enemy. That's why he was asked, well, what does it mean to love your neighbor? And Jesus gives the story of the Samaritan woman, right? And for a Jewish person, the Samaritan was their enemy. And so the call is to love God as one loves themselves. I'm going to give you a few quotes here. This one here is from John Mark Comer, and he says, To love God is to give oneself to him to shape us for his intended purpose. To love our neighbor is to give ourselves to them to our neighbor, to partner with God, to shape them for his intended purposes. Wow, if that's true, how are you doing loving your neighbor? Here's another one. This is from Pete Zero, and, and I think that this one here speaks a lot to me, and he says this, we need to make love the measure of our spiritual maturity. 
If the two greatest commandments is to love God and to love others, then could it be that we do need to make love the measure of our spiritual maturity? How are we doing loving God? And how are we doing loving our neighbors? And last, it's St. Augustus. He has said this. He said, human beings are lovers. The problem is that we don't love, that we don't love, but that we love the wrong thing or that we love the right things in the wrong order. That's true. I can relate to that. Sometimes I do love the wrong things or sometimes I'm loving the right things but in the wrong order. We need to make love the measure of our spiritual maturity. We really do. So what do we do with this? How do we process this? Well, I think the first is, is that if we make love our spiritual maturity, we need to be actively in the presence of God. If I can help you to apply this, I would tell you to slow down. To slow down. To give yourself time. And to be able to say, Lord, am I loving you as you want me to love you? What is in my area that I am hanging on to, that I'm holding on to, in which I don't want to give up, but if I give it up, it will actually express to you that I am loving you in a deeper and greater way. If we want to see Lady Smith transform to be a community that is not known for having the highest per capita people who claim they have no religion. That's, that's a famed claim right now, right? You know that? Per capita, there are more people in Ladysmith to claim that they have no religion than anywhere else in Canada. Do you want to change that? I do. I look at that and I think, wow, that's fantastic. What an opportunity that's there. And so if we slow down and ask God, how can I make love the measure of my spiritual maturity that I would love the people around me, what would that look like? Martin Barber, uh, Berber, Berber, no, I can't say it. There it is. There we are. Welcome to my dyslexic world. Um, He had a practice of doing doing this. He called it I-it and I-thou relationships. I-it and I-thou relationships. So he wanted to look at the relationships around him, and did he look at them as I-it, you're an it, or I-thou, image bearer of God. So I-it is this. If you're in an I-it relationship, it is distracted. It's goal-orientated. Others are objects or extensions of oneself. It's judgmental, conditional, conditionally acceptance. It's monologue. It's debate. My point. It withholds myself Limits sharing, closed, closed, unwilling to learn or change. Or is it I-thou relationship, which is fully attentive, listening, orientated. Others are persons, unique and separate. Non-judgmental, radically acceptance. Dialogue, exploration, curiosity. Offer myself... Vulnerable self-disclosure, open, willing to learn and change. 
I it or I thou. I'm challenged. As I read through this, you have to know that as I read through this and I go through this, even sitting this week and going, I'm going, oh man, this is challenging for me. It's so challenging. Jesus did not share with her to condemn her. He shared with her to see her transformed. And next week, we get to see that transformation. We get to look at that transformation, which is fantastic and exciting. But, but the way he shared it with her, I believe, couldn't have been anything more than love, with deep love, because he cared, because he wanted to see her receive what she needed, which was him, the living water, in which she would never thirst again. So let's move back to uh, what happens next. And the woman said, Sir, I have perceived that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on a mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Do you see what happened to her? Do you see what just happened right there? She deflected. She didn't, she didn't respond to what he just said. She just deflected. And we're actually pretty good at that. You know, God comes to us and points something out and we say, yeah, God, you know, I would be able to love my spouse a little bit better if they, you know, if you just change them here. You know, if you just make that change there, that would be, that'd be so much. Oh, you know, God, my coworker, I could really love my coworker, but if you would just, that, they, that habit that they have just irritates me. If you could just change that, I could love them. You were good at deflecting. And she deflects. And I love, Jesus doesn't, doesn't skip a beat, doesn't come back and say, wait a minute, we need to just talk about this here, okay? We need to come back here. No, he goes, okay, we'll go there. I'll go there with you. What does it mean to worship? Because actually this flows into exactly what is going to happen in which today we as a church live in. And so Jesus responds back to her and he says to her, listen, um, there's going to come a day where we're not, you're not going to worry about where you worship. See, for a Samaritan, the Samaritans were, were, they were Yahweh followers. They were Yahweh followers. A little bit over here, but they were Yahweh followers. And, and so, she, she, so they were taught that where they would worship would be on this, this holy mountain. It was where Abraham... Did, a, did his first sacrifice. And they're saying, that's got to be the place that we worship God because that's where Abraham did his first sacrifice. That's what the Samaritans believed. And of course, the Jews said, no, it was where, it was where Solomon built the temple. That is where, and we know God's presence was there and that's where we should worship. So you have to understand that when she says this, she is, seriously, she is a, she is a, a God follower that's, not going in the right direction, but she does seek after Yahweh. She is looking for Yahweh. And so he says to her, as a Samaritan, you guys don't have the revelation. When he says there that, that you worship what you do not know, and Jews worship what they do know, why is that? Well, because the revelation of who Jesus was, the revelation of God came through the Jews. That's why he says salvation is going to come through the Jews first. Because Jesus was a Jew. And God called his nation 
to be a drawing place for all people to come. They were to stand above every other nation so that all people would know that he was God. Has it changed for us today? It hasn't. We're still a church that is to draw everybody to say he is God. But, but for, for, for her and for what she was speaking, Jesus is addressing it. And he's saying, yeah, you know what? Actually, you don't have it right. The place of worship has been Jerusalem, but that isn't even going to exist at all. Pretty soon that won't exist. You won't need to go to Jerusalem to worship because I'm going to take care of that because I am going to die and I am going to raise again from life and I will be the temple. I will be across this earth. When God created the earth, his glory was all over this earth. Do you agree with that? I do. His glory was all over this earth. And when Adam and Eve sinned, it broke that. And everything from Genesis chapter 3 till we get to the book of of Revelation is about restoring us back to Eden. And Jesus is that part. So today, even though this world is not as it should be, and one day it will be, he is the temple that has come down. His glory, God's glory, goes throughout this earth because of what Jesus Christ has done. And you and I have Christ in us, the hope of glory, and you and I are these temples, that we, these little mini temples that walk around and we bear his glory. Are you a a glory bearer for him? Do you want to be a glory bearer for him? This revelation that he is giving is a revelation that should transform us. It should transform us. So, how do we live that? How do we live as these little mini temples of where the Holy Spirit, where God dwells. I'll give you this practice. There are some people visiting here from from New Life, so they've heard me say this before. (laughs) I'm going to say it again, though. First thing you need to do is slow down. Slow down. I would encourage you that if you want to say, I want to be this image bearer for God, I want to be this light for him. I want to love as he loves. Then I will encourage you to practice being in his presence. And here's one thing you can do. Sit in silence. Sit in silence. Think about your prayer life. How do you come to God? Is it often... God, I need this, I need that. God, do this, God, do that. And I think that praying that way is important. But I also believe that one of the first things we could do is sit in silence. Mother Teresa was with Dan Rathers one day and she was being interviewed and he was talking about her prayer life. And, she, and he said, well, Well, he asked, do you pray? Yes. Well, what do you say to God? And she says, absolutely nothing. And he says, oh, well, what does God say to you? 
absolutely nothing. And if you can't understand that, I can't help you. It's kind of a strange thing. But if you could take even two or three minutes at the beginning of your day and just sit in silence and just say, God, here I am. If you want to speak to me, speak to me. But I know that I am in your presence. And I want to celebrate that. And I sit in silence. I have a habit of sitting in silence 10 minutes a day to start off my time with God. And it has revolutionized my life with Jesus. It has changed me. It has transformed me. I can't tell you how important that time. I just don't give it up. I don't give it up. Because I want. Now, I am distracted. You have to know that in those 10 minutes, I am thinking about the message I'm preaching here today. I'm thinking about, you know, the car that needs fixing. And I, that happens. And I just simply go, okay, God, okay, yep, yep. I, I'm, I'm here, you're in my, I'm in your presence, and I'm back here. I don't worry about that. I don't get, feel guilty about it. But there's something that happens when I can just sit in his presence. And then sometimes he begins to whisper to me and talk to me and just say to me, Scott, you're not loving the way you should be loving. Or Scott, you hit a home run the other day when you spoke to that person the way you spoke to them. All of heaven rejoiced over the way you reacted. And I get to praise him and worship him. So I want to encourage you. If you want to say, I want to be this, this temple, I want to be this light of the world, I would encourage you just to try to, even three times this week, just three times this week, set a timer and give three, two to three minutes of silence before God and see what happens. And see what happens. Let me pray. Ask the band to come up and let me close in prayer. Jesus, I thank you. As I think there's a song that expresses that your love is extravagant. As we are told that it is, is deeper than the oceans, it is higher than the heavens. Father, I pray that you would put into us as a church your love in a deeper and greater way lord i i know it's here i've already experienced it but father i pray for your love to be deeper god i pray that we'll be challenged by how we love the lord we would first understand how to love one another And Lord, that we would be so in love with you. That we would enjoy being in your presence. Being transformed and changed. That we would live out what you have done, Jesus, by coming and living your life and dying and raising from the dead. And now we have your life in us. And Lord, we would spread your glory that Lady Smith would be transformed and changed for your glory and your purpose, 
our communities where we live would be different because we are living a different life, your life in us. And Lord, as we look at the, at the transformation that took place, that we would find the same thing happening here, that our community would be coming out to see Jesus because Jesus, you are remarkable. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.